We are here to discuss the Salzburg derby that nobody or everybody wanted, and now another derby in Graz in the Cup, plus match day nine from the Austrian Bundesliga. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Other Bundesliga podcast. My name is Tom Midler. I'm joined by Lee Wingate. Um, we're putting in the dedication today, aren't we, Lee, to keep up the weekly pods because this has been a bit of a mad day, but we're coming back with a Monday night recording nonetheless. Yeah, at the early time of 10.34 in the evening. So this is the levels of dedication we have to Austrian football right here, right now. <laughs> we were using that dedication. That was on full display last week, actually to get straight into business because you and I took the trip to Salzburg or Grödig to be more precise uh, for a midweek game, 8.45 kickoff in Grödig. Now, why would somebody be doing that, getting a hotel in Salzburg and coming back the next day if it wasn't for a very special fixture in Austrian football? Um, One that I alluded to in the little teaser trailer there, one that perhaps nobody wanted or perhaps everybody wanted. I'm still not quite sure. Yeah, and which many people seem to be getting angry online about us referring to as a derby. True. Um, but yeah, it was, of course, the clash we've been waiting just 18 years for, the Austria-Salzburg, Red Bull-Salzburg cup tie, the team that was taken over, the Phoenix club against the perennial champions, and it was quite an occasion. It really was. It was really cool to go down there. We were hanging out with some of the international journalists who came. You know, there was obviously a much wider presence of interest for this game, Austria Salzburg against Red Bull Salzburg. Um, yeah, interest really from from fans and journalists, publications and everything from from all over. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, this is the Austrian domestic football match that is just going to capture the imagination because of the amount of narratives. You know, you don't really get any international interest in in sort of even Bundesliga matches. But this one, because of the history, because of the way the takeover happened, because of the the very opposing philosophies of the two clubs involved, it just attracted so much interest from all over the place. And I think the television viewing figures in Austria, the expected viewing figures were between 1 and 1.5 million in a country of 9 million, which is incredibly high. But then Beyond that, you just had loads of people around the world that were trying to tune in and watch this, find streams, find a place to to catch it somehow. So it is, it's a game that's really been gripping everyone. And I think at least off the pitch, it lived up to the billing. Yeah, it was quite a special day, wasn't it? Being in Salzburg, obviously a sea of purple, plenty of Austria Salzburg fans everywhere. They wanted to really show their club colours as much as possible and... Uh, kind of rub it in Red Bull Salzburg's face that although they may be champions, there is more to football than just winning. There's a sort of a community. There's the club being built at at Austria Salzburg. And yeah, perhaps they never really stood a chance on the pitch, but off the pitch, it was, it was really special. And the day went off without a hitch. There was no violence or anything. It was quite funny just getting out on the bus to Grödig. Obviously it's in the middle of nowhere. It's miles away. We took the bus about 25 minutes away from Salzburg and, um, and then, sort of walked through the fields that last bit you know you're on these little country roads through the fields except this time it was lined with riot police as well and then we saw the Salzburg uh, Red Bull that is Salzburg fans arrive uh, crammed into a few buses about 400 of them making their way to the corner of the Untersberg arena and the rest of the what 3,700 places were all purple and white Austria Salzburg Um, the last thing I remember from before the game is 
a lot of fans struggling to get in and somebody being called out over the tannoy because a German car was parked on the corner of the little lane that takes you down to the stadium. It really is a little country, tiny lane thing. And it's there's fields with uh, sunflowers all over there. And obviously people everywhere at this point who've had a lot of beer, but somebody had parked their car on that little corner. And then the uh, Red Bull Salzburg team bus couldn't get there. And the stadium announcement was basically, they've made the journey all the way here and they've been uh, disrupted in the last hundred yards. So please, can you kindly come and move your car? Because they, they couldn't just get out, could they? Because they'd have to walk through about 3,000 Austria Salzburg fans to, to get into the Was that one of the reasons why the game got delayed? Because I know it was also because fans couldn't get into the stadium. But I wonder if that was a deliberate thing, like an Austria Salzburg fan calculated and was prepared to give up <laughs> give up their car. Um but, but calculated that the Red Bull Salzburg team bus would have to go down through there and thought, you know, I'm just going to just going to F with them. Basically, I wonder <laughs> if they did that. Maybe maybe that's me overthinking it. But um, yeah, imagine if you're that fan and it was an accident and you're just having a relaxing pint in the stadium and you hear that get called out over the tannoy. Yeah, well, they said it was a German registration, which made me immediately think, oh, it's somebody who's come from far afield to watch the game. So maybe they just don't know. But then now I think about it geographically, Germany's about five minutes away from there. Yeah. So, so it doesn't mean anything at all, does it? But I think the fans, my guess is that the fans being slow to get into the stadium was because they weren't allowed into that main strip then because they were still waiting for the team bus to get through, basically. So the, the two things held each other up. Like until the Salzburg Red Bull players are like in the, the changing rooms like into the stadium you can't allow fans into that sort of section where where they might end up mingling so i think that's what happened but yeah it was delayed by about half an hour wasn't it so it kicked off at 9 15 um some of the my favorite of the the choreos and the tifos and things was the one where well i like the fact that they said in salzburg we play the first violin so like they're the head honchos of the orchestra that is <laughs> salzburg the salzburg football scene um but yeah, there was a lot to, to unpick from from before the game, from well, even during the game. Uh, we had the fireworks display, as we expected. I did tell you on the last podcast to put a bet on uh, there being a fireworks display. We did get it, but we had everything, didn't we, except except a cup set. Yeah, except a cup set. I've just got to mention there, while you're talking about TIFOs, I do have to mention the the very special Mozart hitting a red ball over the head with a violin TIFO, because that's, that's <laughs> quite specific, laugh. isn't it? You'll never see that again. Um, that, that, that was absolutely great. And there were a lot of fan friendships being celebrated as well. I think a couple of clubs in Italy, Union Berlin posters were there as well. Austria Salzburg have got quite a lot of these fan Freundschaften. Um, so that was on show. But when the game started, I think when you have a game like this, where there is such a vast difference between the two teams, like a, such a golf in quality, what you want is for the game to stay goalless for as long as possible. And in that sense, it's obviously really disappointing that Red Bull Salzburg took a, the lead inside, what was it, five minutes? I can't remember exactly. Seven, yeah, something like that. It was pretty soon, wasn't it? Yeah. But then, obviously, it was a pleasant surprise that the score stayed at 1-0 for so long because it was all one team playing. But as long as that score stays 1-0, you do just have this sort of hope in the back of your mind that you know, there might be a corner, there might be a breakaway or, or something. So for as long as it stayed 1-0, I thought it was still interesting. Yeah, I think you're right to call that. I mean, it sounds very obvious, doesn't it? But at 0-0, a cup tie is obviously still massively open and there's a lot of pressure on the, the favourites. At 1-0, you are still just one goal away from something happening. Yes, stating the bleeding obvious, but it could easily have been 2-0 early on and it would have been curtains for the contest. 
um, in fairness to Austria Salzburg, who did give it a good go and, and put in a pretty brave shift, um, there wasn't really an attacking side from them. They only had the one occasion in which I remember um, early on in the second half where Alexander Schlager had to run out and, and slide down to deny, you know, what in real terms is a, a, a pretty normal opportunity. But other than that, they didn't offer much on the attacking front. This is the team who are top of the third division or they're part of the third division anyway. So I was expecting that maybe Salzburg, as they've been beaten by Bilal Weiss-Linz, you said, of course, that you were expecting a big response after that, which probably made it even harder for Austria Salzburg. But um, they are top of the third division. They're no mugs. You know, they're used to winning. They know how to play football. So I was hoping that maybe we'd see a bit more. But it was a very, very professional display from Red Bull Salzburg. And in the end, three goals deep into the second half uh, gave a gloss to the scoreline. But as you said, it did stay at 1-0 for a long time. Yeah, I can't quite decide whether it was a flattering scoreline to Red Bull or whether actually on the balance of play, those goals should have probably come a little bit earlier. Um, but either way, you know, it was a very uh, deserved victory. Red Bull Salzburg have such an incredible record in the OFB Cup now. Uh, but then I think the one eight of the last 10 of them got to the final all but one year. It really is just sort of their competition, as is the Bundesliga, to be fair. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it was very much sort of the the result and... and um, margin of victory that that we might have expected to touch back on a, a couple of off the pitch things i just want to mention the shirt sponsors because there is a, allowed to be one player on each team that has a different shirt sponsor and i couldn't help but notice as the world probably couldn't that the austria salzburg goalkeeper manuel kalman had on his shirt he was the the allocated player with a different sponsor and on it it just said not for sale which I thought they are really giving up sponsorship money there to hammer home a point, aren't they? Yeah, that's very Austria Salzburg in many ways, isn't it? That sums them up perfectly. Yeah, just the Austria Salzburg logo, not for sale. Apparently, he refused then to swap shirts with Alexander Schlager, um, although they're actually uh, friends, the two of them, Kalman and Schlager, uh, which makes sense being goalkeepers in that area. But um, he said he'll swap for one of Schlager's national team shirts, but but not for the Red Bull Salzburg one. So they are, you know, they're living the identity of that club and more power to them. Of course, they're going to do that. That's their that is their thing, isn't it? And, and you know, if they don't hold on to that, of course, they need sponsorship. They need money. They need to exist in a sort of financial reality that is the the lower reaches of Austrian football, which is very, very difficult. But at the same time, then they're, they're not going to sell themselves out for anything, are they? Well, they might. They might sell themselves for <laughs> fireworks because uh, according to someone we spoke to by the side of the pitch, they spent 40,000 euro on, on that pyrotechnic display at the start of the second half. I'm uh, I'm wary about giving numbers when it comes to fireworks because Simon erroneously said Sturm spent a hundred grand on fireworks a couple of weeks ago, which I did say at the time. I was like, that that sounds like a lot, but I didn't really question it too much. So, <laughs> so maybe this one's right, but I'll have to question it and say until we know, we don't know. But I was always, uh, you know, as a kid, I always thought fireworks were really expensive. When you see those big fireworks displays and things, obviously you can buy cheap ones for your for your home or your garden or whatever. Yeah, hopefully garden more than home. But <laughs> but you know what I mean, like when the when hotels or whatever do special things and do massive fireworks displays like the ones at this football game i was always uh, led to believe that they are very expensive so 40 grand doesn't sound ridiculous to me given that it was quite a good few minutes of fireworks but my favorite was actually the flares they let off all these dark red flares and red was a little bit unfortunate perhaps as it is the red bull salzburg color but they had all these red flares and then looking into the home end for austria salzburg it was like 
you could see all these sort of figures, um, almost like silhouetted figures in the smoke, like coming out of the smoke and the banners up against the, the red fiery background. It looked absolutely amazing. I loved that. And we had a great view. We were granted amazing access, really, because we're extremely lucky, for one. But secondly, grounds like that, they don't have sort of a, a very well embedded protocol. So we didn't have a place to sit. We didn't have a place to stand. If we just stood in the in the normal stand sort of near the media section where the seats were all taken, um, we would have had our views blocked by pillars. So instead, we just went down a tunnel, found a little sort of, yeah, just a little dugout basically next to the next to the home team right next to the home team um and it was sort of a little area for photographers and there were only a couple of photographers in there so we weren't getting in anyone's way and we just sat right down there by pitch side didn't we which was i thought it was a really cool experience to see that particular game from that place yeah it was it was a treat um it was was a bit weird for me because i'd never seen a game pitch side before and now i've seen two in a row because that was the the last liverpool one and, and and then this one um it was very very good being that close up to the action i also don't like the well, what for me is a lack of depth perception so when there's like a long ball or a high ball when you're like level with the players it's really difficult to work out where it's going to land compared to if you're you're a bit higher up but but no of course like it was also a, a great place to be close up to the action and also to be able to sort of look up at all of the the stands and observe all of the different fan groups as well. Yeah, really enjoyed yeah. it. I think you're not the only one with a depth perception issue, Lee, because I noticed being so close to the Austria Salzburg bench that I think he was playing sort of left wing back in this game, but I think it's Christoph Bann. And so in the left wing back position, as you can imagine, you're rolling constantly up and down past your own dugout. And he got in, he got so much stick. Like it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily criticism. It was just pointers, notes. Uh, the coach was shouting at him constantly, like Banny, Banny, watch this, Banny, watch that, Banny, do this, Banny, do that. And I thought, oh, that's a rough deal, isn't it? You know, when you're the central midfielder, you don't get that. <laughs> Nobody notices the right wing back. What's the right wing back doing? It's miles away. I can't tell where they are really. I can't see their position anyway. So whatever. But I can see his position. So yeah, he. I mean, he must have got instructions shouted at him like 25 times in that first half. And I just thought that was quite funny. <laughs> you know, you're really, uh, you're really under the watchful eye of your coach and all the assistants as well there if you're, if you're playing in that position. So not just you with the depth perception issue. Yeah, I think at least you can pretend if you're in central midfield, you can pretend not to hear the coach, can't you? You can't really get away <laughs> with that if you're, if you're playing fullback. Plausible deniability. There was another excellent bit of coach interaction that I'll come to you later on the Bundesliga section. But um, do you want to round it up uh, from Austria Salzburg before we move on to a very quick roundup of some of the other eye-catching results in the cup? I think we pretty much covered all of it there. It was just a, a great occasion. It could be decades before those two play again. It's, it's going to be in the cup, if anything, isn't it? Um, I'm not sure either club really wanted it, especially um, Red Bull Salzburg having sort of all of the the history dragged through the, um, I don't know what the right phrase is here, but sort of dragged up again. Um, Austria Salzburg, of course, had the logistical problems trying to find the ground and then probably the fans spent all their money on those fireworks. So it, 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 they'll probably be happy, both clubs, to, to leave it a few years. But but we do hope it happens again, I think. 
yeah, it's a shame for Austria Salzburg that they didn't get a goal, you know, something to sort of cling on to in the, the video reels and stuff. But they had loads of great fan moments. The team represented themselves very well. The fans represented themselves very well from what I saw for the most part, as did the Red Bull Salzburg fans, to be fair. I'm not sure if people disagree with that, but, you know, from I was there and from, from my own personal experience, I didn't really see anything untoward happening. Obviously, the two sets of fans really don't like each other. Fair enough. But the game went off without too much trouble. Um, you have to give credit to Red Bull Salzburg that they dealt with it all very professionally and just simply got the job done. They weren't allowed to be sort of dragged back into this. As you said, it's, it's a bit of an awkward one for them, you know, being confronted by this uh, this club that they don't really want to acknowledge. Neither one wants to acknowledge the other one. So there it was. But um, we had a good day out in Salzburg. You called it the fixture that's kind of your almost the, the end of your Austrian football bucket list. Where are your thoughts on that a few days later? Is there anything else? Is there anything else still worth covering in Austrian football? Well, it's all worth covering. It's, <laughs> uh, but a lot of it, of course, I, I will have done by this point, five years in. I would say that Blauweiss Linz is, is there now as the, the one Bundesliga ground I haven't been to. And imagine my delight the other day when I found out that that stadium is on top of a, a furniture shop. I have been on our sister show, The Sweeper. I've been keeping tabs on football stadiums that are built on top of some sort of shopping centre or shops. And there are four in Switzerland, one in Serbia, and I just found out Blauweiss Linz as well. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to to going to see that. Um, and I, thought, was this? I think I'd like to see a few of the sort of second division teams that I haven't haven't been to yet. And, and a bit more, uh, the national team at the Euros, if we can go to Germany, just across the border, and see Austria play at Euro 2024. There's, there's still stuff on the bucket list yet. Yeah, that's good to hear. Uh, I'm sorry, I've got an apology to make because I knew that the Blauweiss-Lint Stadium was on top of a big furniture store thing, but I didn't tell you because I thought you already knew that one as well. So I assumed that one was already uh, on your list, but of course it's your it's your one remaining one. Hartberg is my one remaining ground that I haven't mm-hmm. been to. But yeah, uh, that's all for another day. I was pleasantly surprised by a couple of the cup games. Most of them were routine wins for the Bundesliga teams, all well and good. We don't need to dive into those too much. Um, one of them, though, really stood out. Union Gürten 2, Rapid Vienna 5. That does not tell half the story of that game. Union Gürten were so good. They scored two lovely goals. They gave Rapid a super tough time throughout the whole 90 minutes. They were playing in the old Reed Stadium as well. And it was sort of full, great atmosphere. It just looked absolutely brilliant. And it took a late goal from Matthias Seidel to rescue Rapid. Make no mistake, although it finished 5-2, Rapid were a couple of minutes away from a, a massive, massive upset in the cup. This would have been Vadu's level all over again. But Seidel got the equaliser, 2-2. It goes to extra time. Then the floodlights go out, which is one of the greatest bits of TV in Austrian football for quite a long while, where Rainer Pariasek basically says, um, as they're trying to kind of by time as the floodlights have gone out. He's like, by the way, we're operating on the backup power at the moment. So it could be uh, plausible that, that our feed actually cuts out too. And there it goes. Right in that moment, the feed cuts out because the backup <laughs> power runs out. Um, but it took a full hour until that game got restarted. And it must have it knocked Union Gordon off their stride because suddenly Rapid knocked in three goals, um, two of which came in quick succession. And the tie was done and dusted. But Union Gordon nearly coming up with a big shock. Are we going to acknowledge any conspiracy theories here that a rapid Vienna fan sort of cut the power to the stadium? <laughs> It'll be like the, um, you know, the the Williams sisters film, King Richard, 
where Serena Williams' opponent is the, um, the Spaniard. I forget what her name is, but she's losing. She gets psyched out, and so she engineers a toilet break that lasts forever and completely throws off Serena Williams. I wonder if Rapide have done something similar, where they knew that they're on the <laughs> uh, they knew that they were on the on the precipice of a very dangerous cup exit, and they they sort of cut the power. Who knows? Yeah. Oh, I'd love it if it was something like that. If it was that, then they got a bit of karma in the league um, this weekend as well. But um, no, they did get through eventually, despite... I, I do feel sorry for Union Gurdon because it was such a good cup set performance. They, It wasn't like a nil-nil draw that they just held it to the line. They really went for it. They went 2-1 up as well quite late on and you thought maybe, maybe this could happen. And the goals were so well taken. Nonetheless, Rapida through. Um, there was a goal for Lustenau that I'd like to talk about because Nikolai baden Fredriksen scored from the halfway line, which mm-hmm. was just wonderful. But uh, his old club, VSG Tirol, found themselves as the only Bundesliga team to be knocked out, didn't they? Yeah, to DSV Leoben of, of all teams. Um, is that Kevin Friesenbickler who's now playing for DSV Leoben? The, the very same that that um you know was playing in the Bundesliga when we we first started covering the league I think it is he scored the penalty to open the scoring and then Denny Allar a, a former Rapid player so it was all former Bundesliga players doing the job for Leoben yeah Denny Allar ex uh, ex Rapid yeah it is Kevin Friesenbichler you're right yeah I mean Leoben made some moves didn't they they're up into the second division now and they're they're looking to make a bit of a splash but that's done a decent job for them um, beating VSK Tirol. So the ignominy of VSK Tirol being the first Bundesliga team out in that round, um, not ideal. But uh, anything else that caught the eye? I mean, the draw just happened this weekend and, and there were some eye-catching draws, at least, if not any more eye-catching matches. Yeah, I think we've got to talk about the Graz derby because that's happened for the second year in a row now. You went to it last year as well, didn't you? I did. That was definitely one of my bucket list games. And just I'm thinking now, I'm like, are we going to get Austria Salzburg, Red Bull Salzburg again now next year? Because I was wondering why it'd been so long, 18 years for Austria Salzburg. But then it reminded me, if you're in the third division, you don't even get into the cup necessarily. You have to like finish top two in your division bracket Mm -hmm. for the last few years to even get in. So no wonder Austria Salzburg didn't have much odds of drawing Red Bull Salzburg in the last 18 years. But now, Gierkart, obviously, top of the second division. That's a tough tie for Sturm. It was a pretty tough game last year. It was Giaka nil, Sturm won in an absolutely packed Merkur Arena. Another brilliant game in terms of fan spectacle in the city, brilliant atmosphere on the stands. Um, the game didn't exactly burst into life, but Sturm edged it 1-0 and obviously went on to win the cup as well. They'll they'll not be delighted to be drawn against a, a very decent Giaka side once again. No, I don't think so. I think uh, that is, I mean, I once asked Rafa Hernigstein in an interview about Bayern Munich because they were playing Salzburg. I said, is this a potential banana skin? And he said, well, <laughs> every game is a potential banana skin. But this game for Sturmgratz is also a potential banana skin, I think. Yeah, really looking forward to that in the next round of the cup, though. That's definitely the standout draw. Um, very exciting stuff. I can't wait for, you know, just derby after derby. I know we're not allowed to call the Salzburg one a derby for, for various reasons, but, um, you know, it's a derby of sorts, but this is a this is a real proper derby, and I'm looking forward to uh, to going to that. Shall we take a very quick break and then move on to uh, to sweep up the Bundesliga action from match day nine? Sounds good to me. All right, we'll uh, be back in just a moment.
Welcome back to a very short part two on this week's episode of the Other Bundesliga podcast. It's a short roundup of the Austrian Bundesliga action from match day nine, including the Vienna derby. Before that, a very quick bit of housekeeping, though. Um, we do have a Buy Me A Coffee page at buymeacoffee.com forward slash other Bundesliga if you want to contribute uh, in the form of a pint or two to us for bringing you these weekly podcasts and our Twitter action and Twitter content as well, then we would be very grateful if you did so. Uh, we've also got a little something for you if you're looking for Austrian food, Austrian delicacies, Austrian homewares, Austrian books, anything like that. If you're outside of Austria and you want these things delivered to your country, you can get those things and um, all kinds of tasty goods on there. We've talked about some of the things in in the past on the pod we'll talk about more in the future but there's all kinds of austrian goodies available at austrianfood.co.uk you can search for austrian store uk or just go to austrianfood.co.uk and if you use the code other bundesliga with a capital o and a capital b you'll get an exclusive 15 percent discount as well so we hope some of you are having fun with that we've heard from some people already who've been buying some good things and some people on facebook who've told us what they're going to buy but uh, yeah hopefully you can enjoy some of that. Seems like a very, very nice link up for us with the other Bundesliga and them with Austrian stuff abroad. Moving back to Austria, though, let's look at match day nine. Lee, the Vienna derby, another draw. I know it sounded uh, more like Austria-Vienna were going to win because they've won the last few. But actually, if you look back over the last few years, is that like, what's that, the eighth draw in the last 11? I think I think that's the right way. And Rapid haven't won one for about five years, it feels like. Yeah, it's been forever, isn't it? Um, the only team in purple that they've beaten has been Fiorentina, which I still find really <laughs> ironic. Um, How could they do that? Yeah. Ridiculous. Um, but there were, there were, I think, six 1-1 draws in a row a few years back. And at least you got a couple of goals then. Mind you, those goals, it usually was like two goals in the space of four minutes and then nothing nothing for the rest of the game. And this time, just nil-nil. Um, I suppose we haven't got goals to focus on. We do have a couple of red <laughs> cards, though. Um, in the second half of this match for Matthias Braunöder and, first of all, James Holland. And I just cannot help but think, Rapid Vienna, you will not have a better chance to win a derby and end this sort of mini hoodoo that they're in at the moment than playing against nine men for 36 minutes. It's not that mini, the hoodoo, though. It seems like they've never beaten them at their new stadium. And they never beat them away, basically. I think we were there. like Right when we started the pod, it was Austria 1, Rapid 6 or something. Really, it was right at the start of the other Bundesliga. So maybe we are the curse. I don't think they've beaten them since then. No, that, that game was Austria winning 6-1. But Rapid, oh, yeah. Rapid did win around that time. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, you're right. We were there right at the beginning for that one. Yeah, of course, the 6-1 was, was in Austria's favour. You're quite right. Um, but uh, yeah, this is how blurry it is, though. My memories of a, of a rapid Vienna win. I can't even get the right one. It's uh, It's been such a long time. But yeah, it's not like these red cards were in the 80th minute or something. They were early in the second half. And yes, I know they're going to play defensive football. Yes, I know they're going to waste time and run down the clock. But like, name name a fixture in this league where from as you say, 38 minutes or 35 minutes or something where you don't expect a team to win even against nine men. I'm like, I don't know if Lustenau were playing against Salzburg's nine men for 35 minutes, they would still be disappointed not to win. Honestly, mm. wouldn't they? So against nine men, like, yeah, you, you've just got to go and win that game. And to, the fact that they didn't really create anything either, I don't know, it's, it's, it's very, very disappointing. And both teams are quite deservedly still rooted in the bottom six. Yeah, I think with Rapid Vienna that they must just be an incredibly frustrating club to support. I'm sure there are Rapid fans right now that are sort of nodding their heads along because 
you get like amazing performances like the one against Debrecen, the one against Fiorentina. There was a 5-0 against Blauweiss Linz between those in the Bundesliga. And then ever since then, they've just gone on some kind of extended slump now, haven't they? Where they almost get knocked out of the cup to Union Gürten, as we talked about in, in part one. And to not be able to win this game, they are just not producing the kind of consistency that, well, at the moment, will get them into the top six, let alone getting them a European berth at the end of the season. Yeah, absolutely right. I think both teams are worried about their top six status at the moment. It's still early days, but, you know, Austria-Vienna, as we've said in the last few weeks, still properly looking like a team who deserve to be down where they are. You know, they're, they're relegation fodder right now, unless they can turn something around. And they do look to be in, in dire straits, unfortunately, Austria-Vienna. And Rapid, when Guido Burgstaller is missing, they're finding it awfully difficult as well. Um, the derby did throw up one of my favourite moments of the season so far, though. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but Michael Wimmer, the coach, <laughs> it's uh, regarding Wimmer and Christian Frustel, the goalkeeper, who did make one really good save against Thierry Gale late on to keep the game at nil-nil. Obviously, Austria-Vienna celebrated the point like a win, really, because they denied Rapid the derby win, which is so important for them. Um, but Michael Wimmer had a moment in the dugout, or actually he was outside of his technical area just, and he, he pointed at the goalkeeper, he shouted at the goalkeeper, and then like pointed at his calf, and the goalie didn't really see it, so he sort of turned around and pointed at the other calf, which is proof that it had nothing to do with a specific calf injury, because River was like pointing at the right calf, pointing at the left calf, just trying to signal to Fruchtel to see something, what he, what he was doing, and eventually, after a few seconds, Fruchtel does see it, and then, guess what? He goes down with a calf strain <laughs> and has to uh, waste a couple of minutes with a, with a behandlung, so I thought, this is this is gamesmanship of, of the same kind of order of as uh, as if a Rapid fan went and cut the power at Union Gurten to help them get through. But <laughs> Rapid obviously pretty unhappy with that. That's very blatant, isn't it? I, I, especially in this age of like millions of cameras at football stadiums. I just think it, <laughs> you've got to have some balls to do that. Yeah, it is absolutely caught on camera. Nevertheless, uh, Austria Vienna nil, Rapid Vienna nil. We can hope for at least three more derbies this season, hopefully. Uh, but Yes, Are we hoping? Question, yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, maybe not. But the question is whether the uh, the latter two of those would be in the top half or the bottom half. Certainly mm. looks more likely to be in the bottom half right now. The uh, top six battle this weekend was actually between Hartberg and Altac, and that too, Lee, ended nil nil. It wasn't a uh, it wasn't like a red letter Austrian Bundesliga weekend, was it? It was it was not our normal. Uh, somebody somebody complained on Twitter. They're like one goal in in three games. You know, we had more red cards on Sunday than we had goals, and uh, they were like, "Yeah, Austrian Bundesliga is boring." I was like, yeah, oh, "Come on, like, have you seen the averages? This is this is a huge underperformer this weekend." But Hartberg nil, Altec nil. Good point for Hartberg. It gives them, I think, their best Bundesliga start bar one maybe since they got promoted. Um, and Altec just on the cusp of the top six, just outside it, they dropped to seventh. But both teams continuing to pick up points and, and doing pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these are the two sort of unexpectedly good performers this season, aren't they, really? Um, you do wonder how long for both of those teams it will continue for, because somehow in my mind, Altac always go into the last day of the season with a chance of relegation. And if they didn't <laughs> do that this season, that would really upset sort of the balance um, of, of what we're used to. Um, Hartberg, <laughs> sorry? It would throw us off. We wouldn't know what to yeah. do if Altec yeah. weren't there down at the bottom. They're even scoring goals this season. I mean, yes, they just drew nil nil. Okay, so I, I take that point back. But I'm used to them struggling always to get goals. And yeah, as you say, essentially saving from relegation right at the end. 
People complaining, by the way, about the lack of goals in the Bundesliga. It was either last year or the year before. Both teams' scoring happened in 65% of matches. So it's, it's generally one of the highest scoring top leagues in Europe. So I'm not having any of that. But you're right. I mean, this this weekend, three nil-nil draws across the six fixtures uh, is a little bit disappointing. I guess both Hartberg and Altac will, will happily take that point, though. They will, yeah. We've been uh, a lucky charm, I guess, for Hartberg because they were on a two-game heavily, uh, two-game losing run, both heavy defeats. And then we went to see them play away against VRC. They won that and then they've been unbeaten ever since then as well. So Hartberg on a nice little run. The other game on Sunday was Sturm 1, VSG Tirol 0. Uh, at the top, Salzburg also got 4-0 win away at Lustenau. So they made it two 4-0 wins in a week. But I think it's important, low-key important for both Salzburg and Sturm to actually get back to winning ways because they drew with each other and then, you know, dropped points. Sturm dropped points against Rapid as well. Salzburg then lost to Blauweiss-Linz. So for both teams, it was a, a return to getting three points in the bank. Yeah, and I think it just sort of highlights that these are going to be the two teams that are moving ahead, really, and, and leading the way and, and pulling away from the others a little bit because Lask, um, as I'm sure we'll talk about in a second, dropped points again there really struggling with consistency this season. And you can just see these two, Salzburg and Sturm, pulling away into the distance. Yeah, they hadn't done it yet because of that draw with each other. You know, obviously then they've, they've dropped points like here and there, just a few. But it's so early in the season that you thought, oh, Lasker actually just behind. But we never really thought Lasker are going to join them as, as, you know, they might still be in a league of their own in third at the moment, Lask. But if there was any confirmation really that Salzburg and Sturm will pull away, it was the fact that uh, VRT were the team to to a rare win against Lask and, and shock them on the weekend. It was VRT 2, Lask 1, the full-time score on Saturday. Yeah, and Wolfsburg have a genuinely terrible home record. Over the last couple of years, their home record is just... It's almost, it's almost a disadvantage playing at home for them at this point. And they were, along with Storm, one of only two home winners this weekend. Um, obviously, a, an important result for them. Moves them into the top six as well, um, just about by one point. But they'll take that. They will. Um, a disappointing result for Lask. But this little band between sixth and seventh, I always say there's a there's like a mini league for who gets into the top six and who doesn't. And this is absolutely beginning to form right now. Uh, the other game was Austria Klagenfurt drawing nil-nil away at Blauweiss-Linz. Blauweiss are yet to win at home, but still you feel like that's a welcome point for them. And Austria Klagenfurt will be maybe a little bit disappointed that after playing so well this season, they've actually drawn five times, won only three times, and they've only lost one game all season. But um, getting the three points in the bank has been difficult for Peter Packholt's team. And so it proved again in Shocker, another nil-nil draw this weekend. But um, you've got now Lask in third on 15, Austria Klagenfurt in fourth on 14, and then Hartberg and VRT on 13, Altac on 12, Rapid on 11, Blavice Lintz a little bit further back on nine. But that battle at the moment, it's VRT in sixth with 13 and Altac in seventh with 12. But of course, seventh to sixth is a massive jump. It's really, really important when the league splits. And I, I just feel it again. We're going to have one of those mini mid-table leagues where basically anybody could get in and it's going to be like a, a, an added time goal that changes the goal difference again or something and, and, and puts like, I don't know, VRT up into the top six after match day 22. It's going to happen. You heard it here first. I think when this new format was introduced five years ago, one of the things that uh, would never have really been thought of at Austrian Bundesliga headquarters is how interesting this 
split for the top six would be as a race because obviously like we know what it does for the league it locks the top half in in position it locks the bottom half in position but that race to to get into the top six as you say as we approach match day 22 and the drama we've seen before i'm thinking specifically if that year was st Poulton and uh hartberg was it a three three draw in in the last minute that completely changed everything i think this is sort of one of those low-key things that they never thought of when when the format was introduced but it is absolutely captivating when it happens Spannung pur. And the last thing that I'm noticing by looking at this table right now is that Austria-Vienna down in 10th, if they doubled their points tally, they still wouldn't be in the top six. <laughs> That's not great. <laughs> that, that, that ain't great, is it? For, by contrast, if Rapid-Vienna doubled their points tally, they'd be level on points with Salzburg at the top of the table. If Austria-Vienna did it, they'd still be seventh level with Altac and actually yeah. behind Altac on goal difference. I mean, not one great. win all season. Is, is genuinely awful, isn't it? Um, after nine games, a club of Austria-Vienna's stature. But we've kind of come to expect this. I think the way that the Austrian Bundesliga works with only one relegation place, I find it difficult to ever see them getting relegated, especially because once you get to the second half of the season, if you're in that bottom six, you're not playing against the top teams. And usually then I'd expect them to come out on top as well. But if the format was a bit less kind, it wouldn't be that surprising to see them go down at some point because they really are just disappointing season after season. And we know that there are a lot of reasons for that. Number one, in in, in flashing neon lights being the financial situation. But nonetheless, like there's a big fan base there that are going to be incredibly frustrated at the moment as well as the Rapid fans. Yeah, at some point, you know, you've got to identify these problems, even if they are clearly identified. But, you know, you've got to work on them and turn them around. You know, it might take time, but you've got to feel like your club's heading in the right direction. And right now, that's a little bit difficult for both of the Vienna clubs to contemplate after another drab derby draw. We'll leave it there for this week. Austria listen now, unfortunately, with the last word, because they're still the last winless team in Austria. They're still on the radar of the Twitter account at Europe's Winless, which <laughs> covers in detail all the teams across the country. My hometown are also winless, Cheltenham Town, and I believe they've gone the longest of any club without even scoring a goal this season. That is rank. I think it's like <laughs> match day 10 or 11 and they haven't scored yet. So they do have a point though. Do you remember earlier in the season, it was Portsmouth nil, Cheltenham nil, and it mm-hmm. made sort of international headlines because there was a the the linesman was injured or whatever and somebody from the crowd like a Portsmouth fan from the crowd had to run the line and the Cheltenham boss at the time who's since been sacked was like yeah best official we've had all season mm. yeah no wonder because that was that was a nil deal draw and Cheltenham although they haven't scored have got that solitary point that's uh, one fewer than Austria list now have to, uh, to put that into some context but I'll leave it there I'll wrap it up thanks a lot Lee for uh, dedicating your Monday evening to this podcast I'll try and get it out on the airwaves as soon as possible so uh, hopefully you can enjoy this. And if you're hearing our voices right now, then hopefully you have enjoyed it. Good night from us.